Hello, this is Rev Matt. I want to offer a quick note of caution at the beginning of this personal stories interview. This week, Alice interviews Barbara Pilgrim. Most of you listening probably don't know Barbara because she worships at our smaller early 8 a.m. service. Barbara is an amazing African-American woman with powerful stories to share, which she does with honesty and vulnerability. So I want to note that the stories are told carefully, but we do hear about racial violence and sexual abuse, as well as use of the racial slur N-word that Barbara, an African-American woman, has heard in her life. If you believe you might be emotionally triggered by this, or if you have young listeners around, you might want to wait till another time to listen to this podcast. Hello, welcome to Stories of St. James's. My name is Alice Killian, and today I'm talking with Barbara Pilgrim. Barbara and I are part of the 8 a.m. crew at St. James, that small but sturdy band of folks who show up for the early worship service. Since Barbara doesn't attend the later worship and coffee hour, you may not have met her, and if that's the case, you've really missed out. But don't despair because you can meet her right here. When I interviewed Barbara for this podcast, I got an embarrassment of riches, too long for one podcast and also too heavy, since much of what she recounts dates from her childhood in the Mississippi Delta during the Jim Crow era. So what follows here is just part one of the interview. The rest will come along another Saturday. Hi, Barbara. Hello, how are you today? I'm great. How are you? I'm great also. I'm blessed. Oh, oh, that's great. I've loved hearing your stories about your childhood and your family growing up. So I'm going to start there and ask you about that. Where did you grow up? I grew up in a place called Sledge, Mississippi. It's in the Delta, and I was on a farm. We raised cotton. I think you've told me about what picking the cotton was like on your hands. Can you tell me again? Well, first of all, you had to tend the cotton to make it grow and produce. After it matured and the cotton get ripe, and the bows, they were bows with little spikes on them. Mm -hmm. And you would uh, tear your finger, the cuticles up. Picking the cotton uh, out of the bows. Yeah, it would tear up your fingers or your cuticles. Can you tell me about your family growing up? We had a large family. And we <laughs> I know. Were, we were very, very blessed. Coming up, we thought we were poor, which we were, but we were much mm-hmm. better off than a lot of people because my uh-huh. father never, ever share crop. He uh-huh. always rented. Ah. He would tell us that nobody was our boss, and he would not let us. He wouldn't. He rented from white people sometimes, uh-huh. but most times we rented from. At the time, we said colored, <laughs> a uh-huh. colored family that had, you know, their own property, and they would rent to other people. So most uh-huh. times we rented from them. Where I grew up, 
majority of my life. Uh, was uh-huh. Dad had rented from a white person, but it was a much better uh-huh. house than we had lived in before. And we had mm-hmm. a little, little few more acreage. So we did pretty well, but still, mm-hmm. like I said, we were very poor. We didn't realize. And we how? Any... Go ahead. Uh-huh. Oh, I was going to say, how many uh, of you kids were there? There were 10 of us told that my mother gave birth to. And there mm-hmm. was one cousin that my mother's oldest sister gave to him when, she, when he was born. She mm-hmm. passed away giving birth to him, and she gave him to my mother. So we, mm-hmm. were, we were all raised together. Plus, there was another cousin that used to show up whenever he wanted to. <laughs> <laughs> now, I know your your first cousin, the, the one who your family actually kind of adopted, was called Lonnie, and you and Lonnie and your brother Wendell were the three musketeers, right? You went oh, everywhere yes. together? Oh, what, yes. <laughs> what about What about the other cousin who showed up? What, where oh, he was, was he older or he younger than you? He was older. And he was, uh-huh. he was funny. He always took time with us and told stories. And, and we just always looked forward to him showing up. Yeah. After I was grown, I kind of mm-hmm. realized that he probably just showed up when he was between places to stay, or most mm-hmm. between, between jobs. But yep. uh, he, was our, he was really one of our favorite people of the family. We always looked forward to him coming up. What was his name? His name was Bill, and he actually, when we were young, he had his got his arm cut caught in the cotton gin, and they had, and, and uh, it, he ended up one one arm. We didn't make he didn't you know he come around us, and we didn't look at him like he was an oddity. We right. would play with his arm, and we would uh-huh. let him pick us up with that arm that with no hand on it. You know and. Uh-huh. We thought it was, was kind of just cool. We didn't. Nowadays, people look at somebody with one arm, and a, mm-hmm. a child probably wouldn't even touch the arm or go play with it. But we did. We Oh, we played with his arm and let him lift us up with it. We thought it was cool. That's wonderful. It's like how it should be. Did he stay working with the cotton gin even after he lost his hand? No, th- No, he couldn't. Uh-huh. He needed he needed both hands. Eventually he did get a prosthetic, but uh it wasn't as developed as they are nowadays, but he did still do different kinds of work here and there. He ended up uh-huh. somewhere down in Florida. We never did you know hear from him when he went down there until really mm-hmm. until after he died, which was years after I was after I was grown and everything. As far as the people in the community, everybody did everything together. Now, nowadays, you wouldn't even hear of anyone doing night watch when a person passed. They, the, the bodies wasn't left at a funeral home. The bodies were mm-hmm. brought to the house, and people mm-hmm. would sit up all night. And the hearse would actually come back the day, you know, the next day or the day whenever of the funeral and pick the body uh-huh. up and bring it to the church. And when I came here to Boston... Uh-huh. The first funeral I went to, there were really no children there, 
in the South, the kids are always, all, all the kids at the funeral, the children mm-hmm. were the ones that carried the flowers into the church. You line uh-huh. up and you they take the flowers in and bring them. That's not mm-hmm. done here. And we had a... Yeah. We were, our school was a one-room uh-huh. schoolhouse. And they were from grade, what you call preschool. We call it pre-primer. And then kindergarten was primer. And then first grade. How old were the oldest in the school? It, it varied because most kids didn't go on to school. They had dropouts to, to work in the fields and things. But you had mm-hmm. a few, a couple that would... Sometimes it would be as old as 20 years old. Because uh-huh, this, uh-huh. this was through it. I think it was mostly whoever could come and could try to, to learn, that was where they came. It was just nowhere else. Mm-hmm. But there were so few people that actually made their children go to school. Even mm-hmm. when there were time to be in the fields working, our father made us go to school. He made sure we could come home and work after school, but we had to go to school. And where the white school had school straight from about September through to June, uh, for us, because they knew we had to work, they broke the school season up. Uh-huh. We went to school in the summer between the time of you laying by the cotton, which is which which is the word labor means you've done the work to to get it to grow and get it ready for mm-hmm. the next stage. So between the time we finished chopping the cotton, the hole in the cotton, and the time that it opened the bowls open and ready to pick, mm-hmm. they, the the black kids went to school then mm-hmm. because you had to be in the fields during from September through October and sometimes all the way into the end of November. But uh-huh. so my father was one of the few people, black people there, that, in fact, some of the white people too, that had an mm-hmm. education, had been to college at all. So the first school we went to, my father was a school superintendent there. And, and what was that like? Being a school superintendent was a whole different thing from what it is here. It just meant that he was in charge of seeing that, in fact, that the roof didn't leak in the school, that he get a few parents to go with him, and they would go out in the woods and gather wood and haul it to the school for us to have to heat the school. And our school had one big wood stove in the center of the room. And that's mm-hmm. what heat the room for everybody. And mm-hmm. the, it was broke up into two sections, from pre-primer to third grade, I believe it was. Mm-hmm. And that was what the one teacher would teach. We had two teachers, mm-hmm. and the other would teach from fourth grade through eight. Everyone would be in the same room, and and like I said, the younger kids would be on one side of the room, and the mm-hmm. older ones would be on the other side. 
in the winter when it was cold, they would put two long benches kind of near, closer to the, the heat of the stove, wooden stove, and people would sit, as many as could sit on the bench on, you know, the older kids on one side, the young kids on the other side. And uh-huh. teachers trying to teach at the same time. So actually, you learn more because you had to be quiet while the teachers were talking and teaching another class, even you know, the class above you, whatever, and you listen and, and learn what they were teaching. Your mom eventually taught at the school, right? How did that happen? No, no, not at that school. Oh, not at that but, school. Oh, it was at the next no, this, school you went to. The, this was years later. When mm-hmm. we, after we grew up, I believe my youngest sister might have been still home, and, and my nephew, we had, by this time my mother had uh, one of my older sister's children, mm-hmm. child, I should say. I think those two were still home when, when Mama went back to school and became a teacher. Mm-hmm. And she said she'd always wanted to be a teacher, and she did. But this was after integration, and she taught at one of the grade schools. She didn't, it wasn't the high school. She taught at one of the grade schools, but it was, it was integrated at that time. Oh, I was going to say, let's. I didn't want to jump into the future. I wanted to go back to before integration. Like, how did you get to school? Well, our schools were local. Some kids had to walk sometimes as far as five miles to get to the school or more. My Mm -hmm. father tried to make sure wherever we lived, we were close enough to walk. Sometimes it might be a mile, but tried to be less than that. And mm-hmm. when we would walk to school, and the county provided buses for the the white children, and their school was in town. And when the buses mm-hmm. would come by and we would be walking to school, the kids on the bus would throw things at us. Sometimes the bus driver would force us off the road into the ditch. <sighs> uh, but those were just things that, we live with daily. Where we lived back when I was, I, I guess, you know, like third grade, second grade, the, the kids directly across the road from where we lived were white. Uh-huh. There was a whole family, you know, kids like, just like us. And we played together and we were friends. Mm-hmm. And then when the integration movement started, I can remember well, my mother said we couldn't go over and play with the kids. Yeah. And their parents didn't let them come and play with us. Mm-hmm. We did not understand it. We'd been playing with each other all those years. And it, it really, it was a part of the movement, but it ripped friends apart. Yeah. When my brother, the one next to me, Wendell, one of the, mm-hmm. the, one of the <laughs> three musketeers, when he yeah. went to the army and came home, and this was years later, he saw uh-huh. this one of these kids that used to live across from us, mm-hmm. and they grabbed each other, hugged, and, 
and, and you know, just laughing and jumping up and down because they were glad to see each other because they had lost touch. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I was going to ask you if it was that family where the older kids um, helped the younger kids learn to read, or was that another family? No, no, that was another family. Uh-huh. They, did, they didn't live across the road from us. Okay. This, this was just a family that lived directly across the road from us. Our mm-hmm. mailbox was in the, right in front of their house, in fact. Mm-hmm. Um, um, can you tell... Oh, go ahead. Tell whatever you want to tell. <laughs> uh, the, the, the family you're mentioning was yep. a mixed-race family, I have to put uh-huh. it that way, I guess. It, it mm-hmm. was a, a husband and wife. They were white. And mm-hmm. uh, the mother of the kids, the wife, she had an affair with a black man. <laughs> and she had two black kids by him. And these two, now she had other children that was white, but these mm-hmm. two children, the two black ones, never went to school. The Why didn't the, they go to school? I'm trying to put it as best I can. The father, <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> he wouldn't let them go to school with black kids. He said his, his kids wasn't black. They couldn't go, he, he wouldn't let them go to school with, with any niggers. I see. He's a, my uh-huh. kids are not, and I, he he said my kids are not niggers. They're not going to school with any niggers. The white school yeah, the white. wouldn't take uh-huh. them because they were black. They couldn't go to school there. So these two kids never went to school at all. One of her brothers, one of the there was a uh, uh, the oldest one was a girl. The the, the uh-huh. youngest one was a boy. Now, one of the brothers went in the service, and when he went away, he used to, uh, he subscribed to magazines and books for her, for his sisters, mm-hmm. and he would have them sent to her so she could learn to read. He had, he had tried to teach her and the brother to read as best he could before uh-huh. he left and went in the service, but he wanted right. to make sure she continue to try to read and to um, know that there were other things in the world besides where we were in that one little pocket. And Did I, it work? Yes, yeah, she was. That's how. That's the only education she got. Yes, it worked. Uh-huh. She used to actually give me books. I like magazines. And uh-huh. I would go by her house to get books every now and then. Every month I look forward to it because she would get uh, five or six new magazines a month. One day I was at her house looking through the books, picking out some that I wanted, and the father came in while we were there. Uh-huh. And boy, ooh, he came in, niggas in my front room, niggas in my kitchen, niggas all over my house. And I said, uh, uh, her name was Molly. I said, uh, uh, Molly, uh-huh. I, I think I better go. And I never went back. Oh, did you see Molly somewhere else? Yeah, you, yeah, you saw her all the time because, like I said, she oh, okay. didn't go to school. She was always, you know, she went to the store. She worked in the fields. She, she uh-huh. did everything everybody had to do 
In fact, more because she didn't get any any chance to be away. Yeah. I just didn't want that dad being mean to have broken up your friendship with her. Well, it it did because we never interacted anymore after that because she couldn't come to our house or anything. And I definitely right. didn't go back to her house after that. Oh, there was that's another sad. Woman. Now, I was very proud of my father uh-huh. all my life, except for one thing that I never, ever understood. There was this man that had two daughters and a son. And he used to go with the oldest daughter. And he ended up having two or three children by her. And my father, none of the people in the community, everybody talked about her. But nobody uh-huh. did anything about her to help her. And uh-huh. that I couldn't understand. She, we were told we couldn't play with her. We couldn't, huh. you know, have any interaction with her. I've always been defiant, so I always would sit with her at school, talk with her, uh, whatever, because I knew it wasn't her fault, even at my age. And I people didn't talk about anything like pertaining to sex when we were coming up. But I still knew she was being mistreated. That wasn't yeah. her fault. And... And why, why did you, it sounded like you were blaming your father for that. Because he I mean was that, one of the pillars of the community. Aha, uh-huh, right. I'm, he didn't believe in injustice. And how could you mm-hmm. sit and watch this go on and not do anything about it? That was just me, the way I felt about it. I mean, I I'm... Uh huh. Go, go ahead. No, I want you to. I want you to do all the talking. <laughs> I'm just here to prod you along because also you've told me all these stories, and I want you to share them in the interview. So I want to remind you. I want you to tell all about your dad and about how he made no difference between gender when you know educating his kids and all those stories. Bring it. <laughs> Well, he was a a very forward-thinking person, and he used to mm-hmm. actually get down in the dirt with us and play marbles. Mm. Uh, he he taught us how to shoot marbles, boys. You know, my brothers and us. Well, in fact, it wasn't the two boys. So <laughs> we had we had them pretty outnumbered, and then we played baseball. Now you are really, really gone kind of laugh at this people call this here in the city people say stick ball oh yeah we didn't have any baseball we didn't have any bats there Uh was no such thing as a baseball bat with us we knew that were but we didn't have any so Uh we would actually take a tin can Uh and you throw it and the person hit the tin can bat, bat it and you ran uh-huh. to the bases. Right. But we played hopscotch. Mm-hmm. Dad would get out there and play with us. He, he, 
And we had, we loved it when Dad played with us. Mm-hmm. And on a, uh, a night when the media showers would be in full bloom, uh, he would wake us up in the night and take us outside to watch the media showers. She see the stars, the shooting stars and things. And he would teach us about the constellation. He'd, t- he'd mm-hmm. show us, you know, all, all the Milky Way, with Venus, all just just everything in the constellation. Mm-hmm. The you know Leo and the twins, all, everything. Mm-hmm. And we loved it. We we just loved it so much. We've reached the end of today's podcast because I really wanted to end on the high note of stargazing with all the awe, splendor, and symbolism a starry sky invokes. Next time you see a spangled night sky, think of Barbara and her siblings grouped around her dad while he points out constellations for them. Also, if you would like to suggest someone to be interviewed or to be an interviewer, please email Reverend Matt at matt at stjames-cambridge.org. Thank you for listening. Be well, everyone. Bye.